Well, here we are starting our Christmas series together. The series is called With Us. If you are I haven't actually introduced myself in quite a while here. I am Brad. I am the lead pastor here at Stanley Park. It's great to have you here. It's great to have you online as well. And this Christmas, we are looking to leverage our messages towards the goal of being the community and followers of Jesus that he came to be with. A lot of Christmases look at the story of Mary and Joseph, and that is certainly part of the season. But this year, we are going to be looking at the story behind the story of Christmas. The story of God coming to be with his beloved creation, to restore, reclaim, and establish his kingdom here as it is in heaven. Which, if you consider it, uh, is wild, but it's also even more wild to think that he, he chose the best route to establish his kingdom here was to be born as a baby in a stable. So over the next five weeks, we are going to be looking at five different themes of Christmas that catalyzes what God came to do, be with us. So today, we are kind of looking at this upside-down, uh, heaven-on-earth Christmas theme, and we know that it involves a baby in a manger, and we know that it involves a, a virgin giving birth, and we celebrate that year after year after year at Christmas time. But sometimes we kind of like approach Christmas as if the baby never grew up, right? That uh, there's Talladega Nights, I don't know if you guys seen that movie, you may not love it, uh, but they, they pray to nine-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. But Jesus grew up, and as he grew, he grew in wisdom and stature, and he ended up starting a ministry. And in his ministry, he helped us understand the significance of his coming through his teaching. And through his life and what he taught, he unpacked the Christmas story. Jesus came so that we may have life and life to the full. John 10.10. 10. An interesting thing in church tradition, it seems, is that we have shortened the gospel in an evangelistic tool. We created a shorthand about getting to heaven when you die. It's easier to explain it and to sell it in a, in a pitch that way, but the picture is much bigger. Jesus spent his entire ministry trying to explain. It takes four Gospels and 23 other books in the New Testament trying to unpack what the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus means. What it means for us, what it means for creation. So while eternal life is certainly not wrong, right? That's not wrong. It's just not the full, full picture. It's a portion that we may have focused solely on. And so in this Christmas theme, we want to bring a fuller picture of life and life eternal. We don't want to just skip to the end or skip to the good part. As doing so, we miss much of what Jesus came to do with us. What the Holy Spirit has been sent to do with us. So here and now and into eternal life, we get to live into this Christmas season. So today, we will be listening to Jesus, which is a great spot to be if we want to understand the kingdom of God, as he unpacks the fuller picture 
and directs us today. We're going to be finding ourselves in Matthew 20. Uh, normally we were, would do like a, a Luke Christmas, but we just did Luke Christmas, and then we did Luke again. So we are going to spend some time with Matthew. He's a good guy. So Matthew 20 is where we're going to be finding ourselves. And in this, we're going to see that he unpacks the Christmas journey. We're going to see that he establishes life and life eternal. So Matthew 20, 24. When the ten disciples heard of this, heard of what? So moments ago in this, the brothers had gotten their mom to ask for the best spot in the kingdom. These disciples now hear of this, and they're indignant. Jesus calls them together and says, You know the rulers of the Gentiles. They lord it over them. And the high officials exercise their authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, as our, our first in the Christmas theme, we are looking at serving. And I hope at the end of our time together, you are both encouraged, as you already serve in so many ways, but also driven to take the kingdom deeper and deeper in your life and in your relationships. So let us pray to that end. Uh, Father, we ask that you continue to teach us through your word and through your spirit. We ask that you continue to take our lives and you show us the things that just shine your light so well. That you help us celebrate and enjoy the beauty of what it is that you're doing with us. And Lord, we also ask that you, you rotate us a little bit like a diamond and allow us to see the spots that we weren't quite shining your light. And that you do your work there. Lord, may we be the ones that reflect you so well and so beautifully. We pray that this message helps us know where we hit the notes and be driven to hit it everywhere. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served. Does that bother you? No? Maybe this text over the years has gained a bit of a dull hum, because we pass by it over and over and over again. But that's actually a very profound statement, that he came to serve and not be served. Now imagine if you were, um, I'm giving you a job. You're now working at Amazon, all right? You are an order picker, not one of the ones that brings to the doors, but you're in the, the warehouse. This is your job, you're working there, and you're getting good at it. You, you know, it's precise timing, precise items, they go in a box, they leave. Precise item, you know, I got the clock going, all these things, like you're getting good at it. Now imagine you as the order picker, you're working away, doing your job diligently and precisely, and along comes Jeff Bezos. You guys heard of him? No? Yeah, yeah, some of you. So Jeff Bezos is either like the richest guy in the world or like one of the richest guys in the world. And you're picking your things and putting in the box. Picking the thing, putting in the box. You'd expect him to carry on, right? You're doing your job, the guy that owns Amazon and all the other things. Likely should just walk right by. 
Right? You might expect him maybe he says like, oh, thank you for the good job, moving on. Or he might like give a little speech, everybody, I want to thank you for making me so rich. <laughs> right? Like that, that, you got the thank you, like your, your work has made me great, I appreciate you guys. That's maybe like you, what you would expect. But you wouldn't expect him to come down to, let's say, the, the factory down here in Cambridge going in uh, while you're working and say, oh, you know what, go take a break. I'm going to do the, your shift for the next little bit. You know, precisely. Like, you wouldn't expect them to, to send you for an unsanctioned break and do your work. Or weird, like, oh, you're doing this? Like, I'll help you pick these ones and, and work alongside you. You wouldn't expect Jeff Bezos to come and work alongside you. You wouldn't expect him to know your name. And you wouldn't expect him to value you as the individual that you are. You wouldn't expect him to say, hey, I actually, like, got in my jet from Seattle and flew over here to be with you today. Right? Would anybody be shocked if that was your job and that was the moment you had? I would be. Well, Jesus came on a mission to serve. Jesus, who is part of the triune God, who is, believe it or not, far, far better than Jeff Bezos, went out of his way to be with us. Because he came for us. Jesus was motivated by love, and he stepped down from glory to be born in a stable so that his kingdom can come. Or said another way, so that life as life can be, can be here as it is in heaven. Right? If there's anyone that should be served, it would be Jesus. But he came to serve us, to do good for us, to ransom us, to work on our behalf. Now it's interesting, we kind of can be walking this line and get twisted in this. We can get confused by who Jesus is and what he's doing, what it means for our lives. And I don't think we're the only ones. Um, I hope that when we go through this text that we find a bit more clarity in, in this relationship and what he's doing. And that we may be able to accept that he serves us as he saves us. That he doesn't come here expecting us to serve him. Because Jesus doesn't want us to serve him. He doesn't want to enter into this quid pro quo relationship that is far too transactional for Jesus. Jesus doesn't need us to do anything for him. But he wants to do stuff with us. Not out of obligation, but out of a loving partnership. Not out of necessity, but out of love. Not doing it just because we love Jesus, but because the love of Jesus has penetrated our hearts and saturated our minds and then spilled out into our lifestyle. That we actually want to love others like Jesus loves others. A love that leads us to give up our place, our space, our points of privilege to serve and not have that be turned back to us. Not because we want, to be for, uh, sorry, we want to be formed by his love. We want to be actively loving and serving those around, not because it's what we have to do for Jesus, but because what he means to us has shaped and formed and transformed our lives into the ones that like, oh yeah, this just kind of happens. We work with Jesus and look at all the beauty and the life, full, full life that's happening here and into eternity. So making this a little bit clearer, I think we're going to jump now to John 13. John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival. 
Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Issachar, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all these things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothes. He wrapped himself in a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with that towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? We're going to jump down to 12. When he had finished washing feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger gr uh, greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed to do them. Jesus clearly was a leader at the table. He was the greatest, and he stooped. This group wouldn't have had, had wanted to sit at this table with dirty feet. At this time, it's not like tables like we have with a, uh, like you're laying beside somebody else's feet. It's, it's gross, it's smelly. You wouldn't want to have that situation. But nobody washed the feet. They may have not been a servant. They may not have been a, a person that would normally do that. And so none of them wanted to be the lowest peg. None of them wanted to be the one that submitted to somebody else. They were, once again, vying for a better spot. And we know this because of the other passage I shared, where they were bickering about who will be the greatest earlier in the ministry. But here at the end, they still don't get it. They're still jockeying for position. But here at the end of the ministry, Jesus still wanted to show them. He wanted to show them the reordering of everything. They were more ready to eat with dirty feet than to serve one another. And Jesus, as he does, he does the unthinkable like he did on that first Christmas. He humbled himself, and he places himself as a servant. Now, this is a huge teaching point for sure, but I don't think Jesus is the type of guy that just does it because it's a good teaching point. I think he did it because he loves them. They are now confronted with a servant king, and Peter protests, right? Jesus, don't wash my feet. But Jesus is a servant. It doesn't feel right. I think if it, it was done all over again, Peter would be like, all right, I'll wash Jesus' feet. I ain't washed any of your feet, but I'll wash Jesus, because at least I know he's greater than I am. But still would miss the heart. Jesus washes the feet as a servant, and it doesn't feel right. But Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. In our life, in our age, in our society, we see the same kind of challenges where we think that the leader and the Jeff Bezos of the world, they, sh they get served by all of us. But that's not what God came to do. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. We see in our culture, just like their culture, that the poor, the lowly, th they serve the rich and the powerful. 
But Jesus came to bring life and full life. He came where the leaders and the powerful are the ones that serve. But not just them. Everyone is invited in to serve one another. And that's what he says. He teaches them. And it's not a service out of obligation, but a service out of love. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this Christmas, I, I propose to you five practices. I'm not going to give them all today, just one. Five practices of the kingdom ways of Jesus to embrace in this season. This week is to serve. And this time, I'd love for us to celebrate something. Because I think our community is deeply wired to service. It's not like, oh, i got to convince you guys to get up from the table to wash feet. No, I don't think that's us. I think we are ones that serve. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we were looking at numbers. I'm a numbers guy. I was like, all right, when we talk about service and talk about gaps in volunteer spots, like, is it that nobody does anything around here? And so we got into the numbers. And that is certainly not true. We have around 80% engagement week on an ongoing volunteer basis. Yeah, 80%. And that's not just like the, there's, there's moments where like you serve here and there. And that, those don't count. It's the ones that like I'm committed to regularly reoccurring some way and somehow. 80% in some way regularly give and serve to one another. So we do not have a servant problem here. We have a lot of servants. And that doesn't even start to look at what you do outside of this building. Because I'm not believing that every metric in your life and your faith is what you do here on a Sunday morning. And so imagine this 80% servant rate with everybody else, whether they're out in their neighborhood, out in the community, they're in their workplace, the way that we serve others around us. So servanthood is not a foreign concept. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago, Brian kind of taught a bit of this message as well. Servanthood is not surprising to us. So I want to celebrate that and name that, that that is a gift and a value and a beautiful thing. And that means that you are blessed. You are living out the thing, the lifestyle that Jesus has offered to us. And way to go. And so I want to invite us into this Christmas to grow. I want us to live into this as a community, naming it this is part of what we do. It's who we are. And the first step into this is not obligation. Good, right? It's not that you have to. It's this love thing. I think as we live out love, we are driven further and further into the kingdom of God. I think for us, we get to understand the life of Jesus came to establish his love here, and time and time again, see it penetrate our hearts deeper and deeper for him. But not just for him, for others. See, the disciples at the table didn't see each other as Jesus saw each other. They saw something to be lost and something to be gained. The people around that table, they saw, ah, I could be higher than you, Okay, of course, you're his favorite, so I'm lower than you, but I'm going for second best, third best. I'm not going to be last. 
They didn't see each other the way Jesus saw each other. And so the truth here is that we get to be those people at the table. We get to look around at one another. We get to look out to the people around and see people as Jesus sees people. Man, does Jesus love people. He left glory, eternity. He left being in deep community with the Holy Spirit and the Father to enter into creation through the best mode that he saw fit, a servant in a stable. Now, in this, we are invited to do hard things. Jesus did hard things, believe it or not. But the hard things always get dwarfed by love. Now, I'm, I'm a guy. I get tired. I don't want to do things sometimes. Does this happen for women, too? You ever get tired? I know you guys work hard. Uh, any, anybody else? Like, is this just a general thing? You get tired and don't want to do stuff? We're going to raise hands. All right, you guys are just all goers. All right, well, we're going to have a sign-up sheet later. Um, so love is a beautiful thing. But man, I get tired. And so I'll be like laying on a couch and just kind of like scrolling as I, I assume some of you do. And my baby will cry. <laughs> right? She's doing something over there. I'm like, oh, just figure it out. I just want to rest here. But I get up. Because I love Brenna. It's not because I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be a great servant, getting servant points over here. It's literally my heart for my child that makes me move past myself time and time again. And so I share this because that is the heart of God, is that he sees his children. I don't think he gets as tired as I do, but he sees his children. He will get up and he will move. And as we see that, that love saturate and shape and form our lives, more and more we'll find ourselves, yes, tired, but we will get up because that is our heart for people. It's love that moves us. It's love that shapes the life, the full life that Jesus came to establish here. Now, one of the challenges I want to highlight in this time um, is kind of the power dynamic thing, not because I think we get it wrong, but I think it just needs to be said. When we come to serving, sometimes, not we as society, we as people, uh, we serve into a power imbalance where we are fine with serving people who don't take more from us, who don't require more from us, where we live into the kingdom, which is absolutely a picture of it, where we take care of the least and the poor. But we do not create space for them to require more from us. This, this can look like a blessing to somebody, which they absolutely need, but we do these things because they can never ask us. We can drive off. We can go and serve a meal, and we are doing absolute kingdom things, but it doesn't require more from us. Maybe some of us would like to get a name and have a story out of it. Absolutely, but that person does not find you. That person does not call you up and say, I need something more. And I'm not saying we stop serving the poor and the marginalized. That is not at all what I'm saying. But there is a tendency in a lot of churches, and maybe here, I'll let you discern that, where we want to serve people who can like, not require of us. We serve as we want, as if it's our time. And there's a power imbalance there. 
and we are doing good, we are living into the kingdom, but there's a lot of spots that we then avoid because there is a power imbalance that we don't want to disrupt. Where we can go and hand something off to a poor person, please continue to do that, but we won't serve somebody at the table. We won't serve a coworker, we won't serve a neighbor, we won't serve a friend, we won't serve a family member because that will change the relational dynamic. We're back at the table and we won't get up because we don't want to change this dynamic. We don't want them to have this weird thing over me now that I washed their feet, that I am willing to give to them and they may not be able to give back, may not want to give back. We don't want to disrupt this space. And so I want to name that there's this challenge in the way that we can serve. That we are willing to serve absolutely over here, but we, do, we don't embrace it in a way where that actually costs us more than the things we were willing to buy. And then over here, we look at the cost and we say, we will not do anything at this table here. I don't have the solution for this, but I know the direction. Both of these directions require us to love. It requires us to, in our hearts, care for the people across the table. And that will fundamentally change the relationship. And over here, even if it's in the minute and the window, where you drop a bag, you bring food, we find a way to love them past that moment. To see their humanity, to see the person, not just as a person that needs, but actually somebody that is beloved by God. Both of these are moments that are etched out by love, and both of them have their own challenges. Right? Jesus does hard things. Now, this dynamic change in our lives will shape us. It will form us. Some of it will be our relational thing. Some of it might be the way that we create time and space. But we know that Jesus has set out an example for us to do. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than the master, nor messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now know that these, uh, know that, know these things, if you do them, you are blessed. Jesus came to earth to show us the way, to guide us and lead us into reconciling us to himself. And he came so that we can be with him, not just in eternity. Yes, absolutely in eternity. It's not a, you don't get an eternity. It's that he will be with us. That eternity is backfilled into these moments and these times. That we get to live into the kingdom, the full life here and now, and more and more and more and more into the days that come. And that's why he sent us the Holy Spirit. He handed us off. He now has the Holy Spirit with us as we live out the new creation. It's not perfect. I don't have to convince you of that. But in these moments, we are learning more and more to see love transform our hearts. It transforms our lifestyle and our being. Not because we have to do it for Jesus, but because our hearts are formed by him. God came to be with us, and that is what drives us to serve. Amen? Now, I want to give you a picture in a few minutes, but I'm over already of a project that I would love to invite you to consider. This project is our Christmas project that will be happening later in December. 
And it's a beautiful one, I think. It's caroling. Hey, am I sold already? Good. All right, it's caroling. Now, what I propose, that we propose to us as a community, is that we carol in the neighborhood. That we take time in our schedule to go out into the neighborhood and carol. But not just like walking down random streets, not just like knocking on a door and, and singing to one person. I think that's beautiful and good. Do it if you want. Uh, but this, this idea here is to facilitate a moment and time in somebody's neighborhood. You heard about Burbank, like there's something going on there. So maybe Burbank, maybe not, where we partner with you who have been sent into a street, into a neighborhood, into a community, and that we as a church will facilitate caroling. This time of year is a time of year where a lot of people will celebrate and honor and glorify Jesus without really knowing what they're doing. Right? They kind of like love the Christmas thing, and it's nice to carol. And we can rail against how they don't even know what they're doing or rail about how the world was a different way. But we are in a beautiful time where people are willing to gather around this idea of Jesus and sing. And so what we propose is like a 30-minute time slot. Uh, maybe it's at your house. Maybe it's on your block. Uh, we're going to book slots where you can invite the church to come and put on a carol there. In this 30 minutes, we will carol and I will prepare like a five to seven minute little meditation to try to help make this picture clearer of what the hope for the holidays is. I know that E3 or um, I Am Second is willing to partner where like we can have like a, a video card that we send out and say like, hey, like if you want to just go home and hear more about hope for the holiday, take this. Um, we aren't trying to force people in our doors. We want to be with God. We want to go with him as he would go. And yes, it doesn't mean he won't be here. We will have a carol on the uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas afternoon here as well for us as a community. But our heart this season is to get out to the places and spaces and to meet the people that are willing to meet with Jesus in you. Because as we go, God is with us. As we land in a spot, we know that he wants to bless the neighborhood. He wants to build relationships through us. And we don't have to do this. But as that love continues to etch our hearts, we start looking down the street and saying, man, I would love for you to know Jesus. And we find creative ways to invite people in. And it's not a trick. It's not a bait and switch. It's caroling. Come on down. You don't want to be here? Don't come. Uh, we will have cards um, that you can, as we arrange and assign a spot. So like, if, you, if, it, if you're 100% in, let me know, and we'll get you one of the, one of the spots locked in. Because there's only going to be so many of these spots we do but we will have cards for you to write the location, the time, and the date in Sharpie, because we could print it, but that's very, that's very Amazon of us, right? Just a label, right? A handwritten part on our card for you to deliver to your neighbor and say, hey, we're hosting a caroling thing on this date, this time. I'd love for you to come. And that is our Christmas project this year. I'd love for you to consider hosting I'd love for you to consider singing. I'd love for you to bring whatever gift in this that you want to do this project as we have a rough framework, and I'm always willing to throw better ideas on board. But that is our heart this Christmas, is to be looking out, shaped by the love of Jesus, to find our brothers and sisters that he's calling to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for this community that already has your servant heart etched on them. Thank you for your good work that you are doing through them and with them. Lord, I pray that today's message is a blessing and twofold. One, to remind us what we do and why we do it. And two, Lord, the step further into your kingdom lived out here as servant-hearted people who are willing to look across the table and love, to look down the street and love, to stop on the corner and love, not because we have to, not because we're obligated because we are followers of you, but because you have so shaped our hearts and lives that we just can't help it because you are with us. This week, may we be sensitive to what you are doing through us and to us. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for gathering. Uh, we'll have like bathroom breaks and a little coffee breaks, and then we'll re-meet for the AGM of members. Uh, if you're not a member, you can hang, you just can't vote. So that's the, the key thing. You get to hear whatever it is, whatever. We're not locking doors either way, in and out. Uh, but we do have to reach quorum, so we will be taking a head count of who's actually a member to do the AGM part. But go chat, connect, and I'll call us all back in as we get started on that. So thank you and blessings to you. Thank you.